Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. Believe your big risk will be rewarded. Believe what you ask for is possible. If you're ready to see a spark in your life, pray boldly, pray daringly, and pray with fire. This week, we are continuing a series we're calling Dangerous Prayers. Let's listen in. You give grace to the humble, so I ask you, God, to do a deep work in my heart and break me. Break me of my pride. Break me of my selfishness. Break me of anything that keeps me from knowing you. As hard as it is to ask God, do whatever it takes to break me. So I was thinking this morning as, as I was getting ready for the service, as I was kind of going over my notes for this morning, and thinking that we had a child dedication today, I was so excited and so pumped, and I was like, man, this is a weird message to speak when we have, like, the most visitors. Because usually what you want to do is you want to give, like, your best, and you want to hook them and make them leave whatever church they're going to to come to your church so that they can tie. That's usually the goal. So you try and give them, like, the, the, like, like the, the Oreo cookie type message where it's just like, oh, it's just so delicious and so wonderful. And then I thought about our last baby dedication, and it was our message, A Tale of Two Thieves, which talked about the crucifixion of Jesus. And now we're going to be talking about this dangerous prayer of break me. So apparently, whenever we do a baby dedication, we just do a super heavy message because you don't want, to, you don't want a church service to be too fun and too light. You want it to, be a, you want it to have some fun. And, you know, so we're going to see how this goes. Sorry, Jared. Uh, But (laughs) good morning once again, man. I'm just so glad that you guys are with us. If I haven't got the chance to meet you yet, my name's Steve. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, just so honored and so excited that you're with us this morning as we continue in our series uh, that we're calling Dangerous Prayers. And my prayer for this entire series, my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that through this series that you and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will begin to move beyond and move away from kind of the safe, boring, benign, self-seeking prayers that, that somehow creep into our lives, creep into our Christianity, creep into our faith experiences, and that you and I would venture into the deep waters of our prayer lives. And when we get to those deep waters, those are the places where it's either God or nothing. And my prayer is that our prayers would take us into those deep places. Now, last week, we looked at the prayer that, God, would you search me? And next week, we're going to be looking at my, and it's going to be my favorite message of the series, uh, and we're praying uh, a a dangerous prayer, God, would you send me? And I'm believing for some people next week, it's going to be one of those anchor messages we talked about last week that really begin the trajectory of your life, that, that through this dangerous but very simple prayer, God, would you send me, you're ultimately just signing a blank contract to God saying, God, whatever you have in store for me, wherever it would be, God, I'm in. It's my favorite message of the series. Um, but today uh, is not my most favorite message of the series. Today, though, is going to be probably the most difficult. Uh, this is going to be the most difficult of the dangerous prayers that we pray. And it's a prayer that we're going to, and the prayer that we're going to talk about this week, I want to warn you, I want to tell you up front, um, some of you are not going to want to pray this prayer. And some of you may refuse to pray this prayer. And it's not a very simple, it's, it doesn't, it's not consistent with the whole God will always make your life better if you simply surrender your life to Jesus type of Christianity, type of prayer. This prayer, though, does have the potential and the power to open up your heart to the work of God in such a way that it can forever change the trajectory of your life. 
And the prayer that we're going to be, I'm going to ask you to consider praying this morning is a prayer of, God, would you break me? My first experience with this whole brokenness uh, actually began over two years ago when we were kind of in the, in the thinking process of, God, should we plant a church? Should we stay at the church we're at? What are the plans that you have for our lives? We were really happy with where we were at. Uh, we were youth pastors at a, a great church. We were very happy, but we weren't content. And we began to really seek the Lord as to what he would have for us next. And so one of, the, one of these steps was I got invited to go up to Cold Spring, Minnesota, and I got, to, I got invited to speak to a group of, of Master's Commission students. And if you don't know what Master's Commission is, which a lot of people don't, what Master's Commission is, it's a one- to three-year intensive discipleship program for students who are leaving high school but maybe aren't set on the whole college thing. It's a, it's a one- to three, and it, it is very intense. It is very intense. And after I got done sharing, after I got done speaking to these students, I got the opportunity to go to lunch with some of the students who were in the program, because the second and third year students, their directors and the lead pastor of the church who this program was run through. And as we were sitting at Pizza Ranch in St. Cloud, I remember just kind of sitting and sharing some stories. And, and, and Pastor Denny, who's the lead pastor of, of uh, the Assemblies of God Church in Cold Spring, River of Life in Cold Spring, he, he kind of pulled me in for a second, and he, and he leans in, and he goes, now, Steve, here's, here's, my, here's my question for you. What's your real dream? And I said, without even thinking, I said, I want, Denny, I want to plant a church one day. And so then, after I had said that, Denny leaned in even closer than he was before, and so then my natural response was, I guess, well, this is my turn to lean in closer, which became very awkward, because we were very close. And Denny... He said, I, here, so you want to plant a church? And he goes, here's the thing. I have one promise for you. And I have one guarantee that this is going to happen. And in this moment, I had just gotten done giving this master's commission group, like, my best. Like, I was giving them the, man, put me on the speaking circuit. I'm ready. This stuff is gold. And so I was thinking that Denny was going to lean in, and he was going to speak in my, and he was going to say, God is going to use you. In such a massive way, God is going to exceed your expectations. You're going to open the doors of your church, and thousands have been thirsting and seeking for Jesus. You're not even going to know what to do with all the people that God. And I was like, yes, that's the message that Denny's going to give me, and I am pumped, and I am excited. And Denny says, here's my promise, and here's my guarantee, is that God is going to break you. Crap. I was really like holding on to that moment, you know, waiting for the, in a sense, the uh, we're going to get all the prosperity without the hard work type thing. And here Denny tells me that God's going to break me. And it wasn't even a promise. It was a guarantee. And so there was kind of this moment where I was like, because in, in, in good Christian circles, what you do is I receive it. You know, like most of the time you get it, it's like, man, I receive that. And I was like, I receive it. I didn't know what to do at Pizza Ranch in St. Cloud at this moment. Like, didn't he just promise my, my life was basically going to get ruined? And, and, and it was amazing. He was right. It was amazing. And so we started the church, and it's amazing that even before we started the church, we hit road bump after road bump after road bump after road bump. And once we started the church, we had, we've had so many 
heart-wrenching things happen in the two and a half years that we've been existing. We, and in the process, even before that, even before that, we left the church and we moved to Louisiana, which was a six-month horrible, painful season that we felt was going to break us, and we were breaking in the process. Then we moved to St. Paul to work at a different church, and that was a difficult process. That was a painful process. That was a breaking process. And on the same day, we became unemployed and homeless. It's a rough day to become unemployed and homeless on the same day. And so we had nowhere to go because we wanted to plant this church here. We had no place to live, no job to speak of. And so we moved to Brainerd with my in-laws for a month and a half. Then we moved in with my parents for three weeks in a house much smaller than my in-laws. And I remember in Brainerd falling asleep to the sound of my wife crying as she is very pregnant with Addison. I remember falling asleep at my parents' house to the sound of my wife crying, and I'm like, God, I don't know if this is part of that breaking thing, but I don't think I can deal with much more of this. I don't think I'm, I'm strong enough to go through this. And then, you know, we bought our house, we started our church, and in the process of starting a church, there was just this, this reality that, man, as we've been going through this process, man, people have gotten hurt, we've gotten hurt, we've had good friends on staff that we had to let go, and, 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 and people have left, and we, we got removed from our first building, and we haven't had money to pay bills, and it was just like consistently this roadblock after roadblock. We were in massive financial debt. I was dealing with sleepless nights, depression, anxiety, doubt, and every time something would happen, every time I was at this place of just wondering, God, are are you even in, did I miss you altogether? Because there, it can't, it, it's, it shouldn't be this painful, right? Because every magazine article I've read and every documentary I've seen, man, when the doors of the church opened, things just get, went nuts. I thought I was on the Stephen Furtick plan. That's what I paid for. Love Stephen Furtick, by the way, if he ever listens to this, which you probably won't, Stephen, I love you. Um, and every time something would happen, I would text her, I would call Denny, and I would say, I explained to him what's going on, I said, and I would, I would say, I am breaking on the inside. I said, Denny, am I there yet? Am I broken yet? About the fourth time of uh, calling him, he said, listen, Steve, you're not going to have to call and ask me when you're broken. He goes, when it happens, you'll know. It's a dangerous prayer. God, would you break me? And, and I honestly, in this time frame, could not have imagined what God would orchestrate, where God would lead us, but I couldn't even, more than the, the difficulty and the painful experiences, I could not even imagine the blessings and the intimacy with God that exist on the other side of brokenness. And so this morning, I want to ask you to consider praying a very dangerous prayer. What I know is that not all of you will. And you don't have to. It's not, it's not a criteria to be a part of this church to pray all the prayers that your pastor says. But I want you to consider this morning giving God permission to do a deep work in your life, to pray the prayer, God, would you break me? And to study this today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at two different stories that actually happen in the same chapter. They're very cool stories. They're actually side by side in the very same chapter. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. The first story we're going to look at deals with the prostitute. And I remember in college actually having to write a paper on this portion of Scripture, and so I know a little too much about this, this topic. And one of the things that I remember as I was writing this paper is I didn't want it to just be sort of an explanation of what was happening. I wanted to get the perspective 
of this person. I don't want to get the perspective of Jesus because I feel like that's kind of my default. Like I want to understand and see from Jesus' perspective. And so as I wrote this paper, I'm like, I want to get this perspective of this prostitute. I want to get the perspective of this woman. And, and as I began to study Mark chapter 14, as I began to study this, this, this portion of Scripture, I began to realize that no one in their life in this time or in our time would ever be, man, by the time, no, the, the hope would never be this, man, by the time I'm 21, I want to be in the top 10% of the prostitutes in my community. That would be a very strange goal. In fact, if you were a prostitute, in the time that we're going to be looking at it, it was because life had dealt you such bad cards that you, ha- that you felt you had no other way to play the game of life other than to live out this desperate plea. Because here's the deal, man. In Mark chapter 14, if you were a prostitute, you were hated, you were despised, you were full of shame. And I, and I began to think, man, who knows what led this woman to make this decision? Who knows what led this, this woman to choose this vocational path? And Maybe she was a single mom and had no other way of paying the bills. Maybe her entire life she had been abused by men, and so she, she knew nothing else, and so maybe she just went with what she knew. And then one day we're going to encounter this moment where she meets a man that treats her differently than any other man that she's ever met in her entire life. She was shown honor. She was shown respect. She was shown dignity. And she was loved in an appropriate way. And it so transformed this woman that she wanted to worship Jesus in, in, in the most sacrificial way that she could imagine. And in this extravagant act of worship, it was completely confusing to the people that were around her. And so if you have a Bible in Mark chapter 14, we're going to be starting in verse 3. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We're going to have the verses up on the screen. But it says this. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. Now, the first thing I want to I explain, what I want you to know, is who is, who is Jesus in the home of? This guy named Simon, who at one time had been a leper. Now, this guy, Simon, he would have been a person that everyone in his community would have avoided. But Jesus, in a way that only Jesus can, seeks out those who the, who the normal crowd would avoid, and he befriends them, and he heals them. I mean, it's so cool. You've got Jesus, who's, who's this rabbi, and, and it's, it was, I was laughing in my office, and, and my daughter, who was watching Empire Strikes Back as I was putting this message together, she goes, Daddy, why are you laughing? This wasn't a funny part of the moment. Han Solo just got frozen in carbonite. Why are you laughing? Sweet Taylor was so concerned about Han Solo. I don't even have the heart to tell her what happens later. But you know what I mean? But it's like, but I remember she, and I was, I was like, Daddy was just thinking of a joke because this story sounds like a joke. Doesn't it? A rabbi, a leper, and a prostitute walk into a bar. That's a solid joke. That's a solid joke. But you find a rabbi a man who formerly was a leper and a prostitute in the same house along with some of Jesus' disciples, and she comes in with this jar of very expensive perfume, and this perfume is, is so key to the story. This so key to this experience is that, because here's the deal, perfume back in the day, it was so valuable. It was only, it, perfume was only owned by noblemen and royalty and prostitutes. 
And this, as we're going to find out later, this, this perfume was valued at, at, at about a year's worth of wages. I mean, just imagine what you make in a year and consume that into a liquid in a bottle. My bottle would be very small. Um, but that was a funnier joke than how you guys responded, but we'll just keep moving. Um, but the thing was, take what you make in a year and put it into a liquid, put it into a bottle, and put it on your mantle. And, and, and the thing that's so f- amazing is that ordinary women did not wear perfume because they couldn't afford it. And what perfume was for this woman, was, it was her calling card. Nobody had to ask what that woman did. All she had to do was stand in a corner, and men had to walk by and smell the sweet fragrance of this perfume. And, and there was immediately, I was like, oh, I know what type of person she is. I know what she does. As men would walk by and, and, and smell that, that the fragrance of perfume, they would kind of like, oh, okay. She was sending a message. This was very, very expensive, a year's worth of wages. It was essentially her source of income to draw her business. And, and, and she brings this ex- incredibly expensive bottle of perfume. And in the next part of the verse, it says this. It says, then she broke opened the jar and poured the perfume over his head. She broke and she poured. She broke and she poured. Now some people, as we read the story, man, they freaked out going on, continuing. It says some of those at the table, I love that word indignant. Some of the people at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money could have been given to, to the poor. And so they scolded her harshly. In my brain, I see everything kind of like a movie. And I can see this moment as this, it's in slow motion, and the woman kind of very dramatically raises the jar up and brings it down on the table. And there's that one guy in slow motion who grabs the closest jar and just dives, just like, no, and just dives towards it. And I can see that one person with the over-exclamated look of just like, there's always that person who does this face. And then I can just begin to, there's like, stop. Don't do that. What are you doing? I remember hearing so many sermons about the shame of these men of faith who had such little faith in this moment who were shaming this woman for her extravagant act of worship. But if I can just be really honest, I would be one of the guys who would be shaming her because in the moment, all I'm seeing is a product, not a person, not a past not an experience of life. All I'm seeing in this moment is that someone is wasting something, wasting something very valuable. You could give it to the poor. I mean, who doesn't want to help the poor? You could give it and feed the whole. You could support a two-and-a-half-year-old church plant in South Minneapolis with that year's worth of wages, and we would take it. And all of a sudden, I find myself like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I would probably be one of the greater sources of shame because that's just how I am. The thing that was so amazing about this extravagant act of worship, and I love it in verse 6, Jesus has a reply. It says, continuing in verse 6, it says, but Jesus replied, it says, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you. And you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, whenever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Essentially, and I want to put this up on the screen, essentially what this woman is saying in the act of of breaking this, she goes, I'm giving you my whole life. 
I'm giving you the most valuable possession I have. This jar represents my past. This jar represents my future. I'm leaving my past life behind, and I'm giving my future away to you, Jesus, my source of income and my life savings, Jesus, because in this moment, you have loved me in a way that I have never been loved before. So in, so in my, my only response is that I will break open the most valuable possession that I have, which represents my livelihood, and I'm going to break it, and I'm going to pour it out. I'm not just going to pour some of it. I'm going to pour all of it. I'm going to pour it out on the one who is selfless and extravagant in his own right because he has been sent from God the Father. This moment of worship is so beautiful. It was so extravagant. It was so confusing. It was so unordinary. And this woman in this moment takes this jar and she breaks it and she pours it out. It's our first story. Our second story follows right after it. Same book of the Bible. And in the story, Jesus is having his last meal. Last week, we, we took some time and we remembered and responded to Jesus' sacrifice through communion. This is the beginning of that, that practice, that tradition. And in this story, again, Jesus is having his last meal. He's gathered together with his friends, and he knows what's coming. He knows the cross is what lays ahead of him. And so he decides to have one last meal. And how Mark tells the story, same chapter, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 22, it says this. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Jesus' body broken, and his blood poured out. Jesus is saying, My body is about to be broken for you, and my blood is about to be poured out for you. This, this jar that this woman had, it was broken, and it was poured out in an extravagant act of worship. Everything I am, in two separate stories, saying the same thing. Everything I am, God. And everything that I want, I break it, and I pour it out for you. In the Gospel of Luke, it tells the same story, and Luke was at the table, Mark was at the table, and, and the rest of the disciples, and, and Luke wrote about it. Luke was a doctor, so he was a little bit more detailed, because doctors are a little more detailed, and so Luke is, is a little bit more detailed, and you can find the story in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. This is how Luke writes it, where Jesus is saying in verse uh, 19, he says, this is my body, which is given for you, and then he says what? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Most of us obviously would agree that this is the beginning of what our, our Christian faith tradition of, of communion would be. And what Jesus is saying, he goes, my body is about to be broken and poured out for you. So when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And, and as I was studying for the, over this passage, I, I came across kind of a scholarly debate. And most of the scholars, as they read this, know that this is obviously referring to communion. But what the, where the, the deeper conversation went was, many scholars believe that as Jesus was breaking the bread and pouring the wine, what he was doing is he's not simply saying, hey, when you remember me, then do this. But what many scholars were saying is like, this is not so much a call of remembrance, but a call to action. That we're not simply supposed to sit in remembrance of what Jesus has done, but this is supposed to propel us as his followers, as his people, to live our lives in the same way, broken and poured out. Poured out for the sake of the gospel, poured out for the fame of Jesus, poured out for the needs of a world that is so desperately searching and striving for Jesus, whether they know it or not. 
And I think what Jesus is saying, he says, don't simply do this in remembrance of me, but live your lives in the same way, broken and poured out. Paul even said it in 2 Timothy 4. He says, I'm poured out like a drink offering. Giving everything I have for God's glory, broken and poured. God is going to break you. God wants to break you. Rick Warren is the pastor of Saddleback Church in California. Author of the book called The Purpose Driven Life. He, I've, I've heard him say this, and it's one of my favorite quotes by him. It says this. It'll be up on the screen. It says, here's the deal. We impress other people with our strengths. But we connect through our weaknesses. We impress people with our strengths, but we connect through our weaknesses. And I want to say it this morning this way. We can impress people with our strengths, but we connect in a deeper way and in deeper meaning with our brokenness. And, and I, I think about my life, and it's so true. Most of the time, when I'm around people who are amazing, and I'm around a lot of them, it's just kind of the crew that I roll with. I just roll with a lot of amazing people. Married to a very amazing woman, and I'm like, which my wife can do in an hour takes me a week, and she's like, well, yeah, you just do this, and you do this. You should have done that. And this, and I'm like, babe, you are amazing. And then when I'm a bit, like, I hate her. Like, I hate, she is so cool. She is so, when I hang out with my friend Nate, man, he's so, I hate this guy. Like, so talented. I mean, it's just, I'm surrounded. Don't you kind of find yourself kind of doing that from time to time as well? Like, you're just around people who are just amazing. Like, in the moment, you're like, dude, that's awesome. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then when you're just by yourself in your car driving home, it's like, they are the worst. I hate them. They suck. And then you have this moment that hopefully we all have when it comes to the relationships that God has blessed our lives with. And, and, and all of a sudden, this person who you hate because they're so amazing has a moment of vulnerability and begins to share with you. Maybe their life isn't so amazing. Isn't it amazing? In that moment, you start to like them. Like, I actually like this person now. Their life sucks too. Their life is just as much a mess as mine is. I really like this person now. We impress people with our strengths, but we connect over our brokenness. Uh, there's, there's this doctor, Dr. Henry Cloud, as, again, putting this message together. He comes across this, I came across this quote by him, and he said, it's, he goes, I'm really convinced that God made the tear ducts in our eyes for a reason. Because I think that in the midst of life, we've fallen into this very dangerous place of thinking that our strength exists in our individuality. That our strength exists within our individualisticness. And what we have deemed as a strength is actually our greatest weakness. So I love this quote because I think that God in, in his ultimate wisdom and his, his master planning put, our, put the tear ducts in our eyes for a reason because in those moments when life can't get any harder and you feel like your life is breaking, I think that we were actually supposed to be eye to eye as we looked at people and cried. I don't think we were supposed to hide that. I think we were supposed to have breaking experiences with other people because if I'm fighting these moments by myself, then I have no one to fall back on. And I'm so grateful for the people in my life that have allowed me to just cry and had moments where I've been encouraged or reminded that it's not going to stay like this forever. In the moments of breaking, we're supposed to break with other people, and so last year was actually a really hard year for us. 
we had more staff turnover than I'd ever expected, and we had more families and individuals leave the church than I was ever hoping for, and it was, it was so difficult. And, and, and every reason everybody gave us, and I'm just going to be super vulnerable, because why not? Um, every conversation we had with people, they told us about how awesome the church was, how awesome we were, but then when you got on a very molecular level of what they were saying, what, what, what ultimately came by is that we weren't enough. And it was a struggle. It was a difficulty. And as I shared last week, I have a very severe fear of being inadequate. So that was a huge help. We had table, we had discussions around our dining room table that we found ourselves eating in our living room because we couldn't sit at that table anymore because of the things that we were said and the names that we were called and the ways that we were described and defined. And so we found ourselves eating dinner in our living room. So I came home from work one day, and, and, uh, and our dining room table was gone. I was like, where's our table? Jen's like, I sold it. Do we have another one coming? And he goes, yeah, it'll be Target's delivering it in two days. I'm like, well, what are we going to do till then? She goes, we're going to have picnics. I'm like, sounds good. I can sell that. So we had picnics. And, and in the emptiness of, of that table, God really began to remind me of one conversation that um, that was really hard. I get together with a pastor once a month, and it's kind of a all agenda, off the table, how you doing sort of meeting. And I remember getting together with my friend for this meeting, and I remember sitting down, and he's smiling, and he goes, man, how are you? And I took our trailer keys, and I slid them across the table, and I said, you can have it. I don't want it anymore. was as much of a conversation as I had planned, so I got up to leave, and I felt this arm grab me, and it wasn't in a, in a way of aggression. It was just a, a way that when you're in a desperate breaking moment, you need someone to grab onto you, because if they don't grab onto you the way that he grabbed onto me, I would have drowned. And in a coffee shop, I just lost it. It was broke. I just cried. Then he started crying. And began to ask the question, God, is this really even worth it anymore? It was in this moment that I didn't have to call Denny. I knew I was broken. I didn't expect this to hurt this bad. And for the first time in a really long time, actually embarrassingly long, I finally had nothing to hold on to but Jesus. I finally had nothing to depend on because I didn't even want to do this the next Sunday. All I had was God. And I remember that conversation in Pizza Ranch that God's going to break you, and let me tell you that he did, and, and he does. Breaking's not... The thing I've learned in the process of life is that breaking isn't a one-moment thing. It's a, it's a progression of life. It's a, it's a continual thing. That's not a very encouraging thing, but when you get on the other side of brokenness and you experience an intimacy with God that you've never known before, 
you realize that in the midst of God breaking you, it's a, pr- it's a sign that he loves you. My parents used to punish me, and they used to tell me that this hurts them more than it hurts me, and I thought they were full of crap. And then I became a parent, and I had to punish my kid, and I said the exact same thing because I really did believe that in that moment this was hurting me way more than it was hurting my kid. And I think God brings, I know God brings seasons of brokenness to your life and to my life because he loves us. Because his desire for our relationship would be that he would be the only thing that we would have to cling to. That he would be the only thing that we would have to depend on. God's seasons of breaking in your life will lead to God's greatest seasons of blessing in your life. But you have to be open to God breaking you. Nobody likes to be broken, but this morning I want to ask you a very simple question. And would you pray? It's very dangerous. But very necessary prayer of God. Would you break and would you just bow your heads this morning and close your eyes? And as I was thinking about this, this message, the thing that I just was so reminded of is that this idea of brokenness is not advanced Christianity. This is actually Christianity 101. And we look to this woman's story of breaking the jar and pouring out her offering to Jesus. Then we look at Jesus breaking his body and pouring out his blood for you and for me so that you and our sins could be forgiven so that we could have moments not simply of remembrance but of, of calls to action in these moments that our lives would be propelled by the sacrifice that Jesus made. And I think the big point that I want to leave you with today is the fact that there is no better life lived than a life that is broken. Because when we're broken, I believe that God looks at us and says, no, that's something that I can work with. So Lord, in this moment, God, I, the, the weight of this is unignorable, undeniable, but God, you you love us so much that you break us and you rebuild us more into the image of Jesus. God, that's your desire for my life and for every life here, but God, you are also I've heard you described as a gentleman. And so God, in this moment, in this very strange, awkward, tense moment, Would you speak to us in this moment to, to, to reassure us that the best place for us to be would be in positions of brokenness and places of brokenness? And I just want to ask, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just as a sign of, as, as a, a sign of faith, if you're here this morning and you're saying, yeah, I'm living this life, but I haven't been broken and poured out like this jar. I haven't been broken and poured out like Jesus. And if you're willing to pray that prayer, saying, yeah, I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm going to pray that God will break me. With no one looking around, would you just throw your hand up? And I just want to pray for you. God, you see these hands. You see 
the circumstances, God, you see their availability. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm going to pray the hardest prayer that I ever have to pray as a pastor. And, God, would you wreck their lives? Would you break them? God, because my desire for my life and for their life is, God, you would remove everything that would keep us from reflecting Jesus. And Jesus, in this moment, once again, I thank you for your brokenness and I thank you for your sacrifice. It's in that brokenness and that sacrifice, God, that the world was changed and God, you call us to be a part of that. And so, Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us like you do. You love us so long. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We want to be able to walk with you and beside you as you go throughout life. So if you ever have a need for prayer, we want to be able to pray with you. Please email us at motioncityprayer at gmail.com. We would also love to have you join us in person next week. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. at Falwell School of Performing Arts. We hope you have a fantastic week.